your, your Bibles, if you have one, to our scripture today, which is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 15. We'll be hearing the first eight verses. We find Jesus in the middle of a um, longer conversation with his disciples. And as we join him, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withered. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So Jesus' words to his closest followers are a part of a larger conversation in which Jesus is explaining his purpose and that the suffering that he is about to experience and what it means. Jesus speaks in analogies and in metaphors a lot during this discourse. In it, he is trying to paint a picture of the sacrifice that he is about to undertake. And he understands that his words can only go so far. They, they in fact, they go against the grain of their culture and of his audience. And so they're going to need a picture. They're going to need something that they, is concrete, that they can understand what he means and why he is choosing this path. The disciples are going to need to be assured that Jesus' death actually means life for them and for the world. What's more, as they stay on this journey, Jesus tells them that they too, as disciples, will experience their own struggle, rejection, and for many of them, even death. What Jesus is painting for them is a paradox. Jesus says that the life you try to hold on to you will lose. But the life that you give away for Jesus' sake and for the kingdom of heaven is the life that you will gain. So Jesus, is tur Jesus turns to the example of a vine to illustrate how his followers can respond positively to the reality that they face. Vineyards and vines are mentioned often throughout the Old Testament. So we should assume that the people Jesus spoke to in the Gospels, good Jews, they had a basic knowledge of how vineyards worked. In fact, they were used often to describe the people of Israel. So they knew how they grew and how to best cultivate them. Perhaps we are less acquainted with vines today, so as we discuss today, I'll try to bring us up to speed as we walk through the Scripture. First, Jesus tells us that he is the true vine. By saying that he's the true vine, 
I take it to imply that this implies that there must be imposters. I wonder what those imposters look like. Maybe there are weeds or other vines that masquerade as a fruit-bearing vine, but instead of doing what they claim, they instead are invasive and choke out the possibility of fruit production in the vine. So only the branches that are connected to the source of life, the true vine, can bear fruit. Second, Jesus says that his father, God, is the gardener. God, as a gardener, cares for the vine and provides the kind of environment that allows for the vine to thrive. Now, how does a gardener care for a vine? It's not something that you can do on the weekend. It's not something you can do from a distance. A gardener has to establish an up-close relationship with the vine in order to know what the vine really needs. And this takes work, and it takes time. The farmer must know the kind of soil that best feeds the vine, the kind of land that provides the best soil, the kind of weather patterns that the vine will thrive in, and the farmer has to know what to look for in the vine if it's going to be healthy and grow into the kind, grow in the way that will ultimately allow it to produce fruit. Winemakers are especially obsessed with these qualities. They believe the soil, the sun, and the amount of rain will dictate the character of the grapes and wine, and they can taste it. They can taste the land in it. So like a gardener, a discerning sommelier can tell the difference. Third, Jesus says that a good farmer will recognize when branches stop bearing fruit and will cut them away from the vine. The branches that are bearing fruit are cleaned or pruned, and the Greek word for prune also means clean, in order that they can be even more productive and bear more fruit. Again, either cutting away the dead branches or pruning good ones requires that a farmer knows his or her vines intimately. It's a skill that's honed over time and leads to the kind of vine that yields not just a lot of fruit, but sweet and satisfying fruit. So in this scripture, as the metaphor goes, we are the branches and Christ is the vine. God, as the farmer or master gardener, has a close relationship with the vine and its branches. Because of this relationship, the farmer can care for it in a way that supports the vine's health and trains the good vine to be productive. Pruning the branches of a vine is a key way to ensure that this plant doesn't grow in on itself or that it doesn't choke out other branches, but instead it seeks the light in a free way to produce the best kind of fruit. Fourth, Jesus says that branches can't bear fruit by itself. And I think this is pretty obvious to us urbanites. The vine is the source. The vine is connected to the soil in which it gains the nutrients it shares with each of its branches. Likewise, a branch connected to a grapevine can't decide that it wants to be a tomato or a blackberry. Its identity comes from the vine on which it grows. The basics of viniculture are plain and they're obvious. The vine determines the kind of fruit that is grown. The vine is rooted in the soil that best feeds it and provides life-giving nutrients to the branches. Interestingly, the branches produce leaves that catch the sunlight and send energy back to the vine. So there is a reciprocal kind of relationship in the plant. 
but I'll go out on a limb, <laughs> pardon the pun, and say without the vine, the branch cannot produce a leaf. What we are talking about here is actually a highly complex system that creates life, sustains life, and then in the winter, as it dies, it becomes compost that begins a miraculous cycle all over again. Jesus is painting this picture of the vine as a way to instruct and encourage his followers, especially in his physical absence. As we recall these words today, I am certain that they are especially timely for us, his followers here at Huguenot Road Baptist Church. Can Jesus' words to his disciples help us gauge our faithfulness today? Here are some questions I've thought about as I've read the scripture this week. And I invite you to think about them too. What kind of climate do we find our congregation planted in today? What kind of soil do we need to thrive? Are we getting enough sunlight? More directly, are there dead branches or wild branches competing for our attention and our commitment? These are not questions we can simply answer in one church service or in one season even. But they need to be raised because Jesus taught through the metaphor of the vine and the branches that our identity and purpose are tied up with a healthy connection to the vine. So I watched this video over the weekend on how to prune grapes. Or how to prune the vines specifically. At the beginning of a growing season, before the vine buds, the farmer will prune last year's branches almost back to the point where it joins the vine. The farmer does this in order to focus all the energy of the plant toward growth in one specific area. Over the last growing season, each branch produced many buds that could all turn into produce many of its own branches. So you can imagine a vine and the branches, and then uh, lots of other shoots coming off. So it sounds like exponential growth. You'd have all sorts of vines growing out. But if the branch is allowed to become its own vine, the original vine is that it's attached to becomes overtaxed. If this happens, the new branches all have to compete for sunlight and growing room in a finite space. So they choke each other out. So the farmer has to clarify which branches remain by cutting away the extra growth. The focus branches then have more space for sunlight and fruit can grow larger and sweeter. If branches could talk, I imagine they would protest the gardener. It reminds me of a few visits we've had to the doctor as a family with my kids when they were younger. I won't tell them, but when it came time for vaccinations or other shots, Sometimes they would squirm. Even on one occasion, one of them tried to, to run and hide in the corner as if that would that person could escape. What we acknowledge is shots, they hurt, don't they? We probably all have some experience with shots lately. In the short term, they hurt. They may even make us feel sick for a day. But in the long term, they lead to health. They help us fight off viruses. 
So like vines need pruning and humans need vaccinations, followers of Christ need spiritual pruning. Now, pruning is not the same as salvation. The branches are already connected to the vine. We're already connected to Christ. This is a fact that Jesus points out early in our scripture today. In other words, life on the vine, life spent following Jesus, will require continuous pruning or training. If we think our purpose is just to be connected to the vine, or if we try to shoot off in our own direction and become a vine of ourselves, then we will quickly become like dead wood, leeching energy off the vine and impacting the health of the other branches. I think pruning is like being a lifelong learner. Accepting God's pruning often looks like listening to the prophets, both of old and scripture and those who are current today. It requires intentional time listening to God in prayer and in community with other believers. In doing so, we are confronted with the ways we choose to live that actually keeps us from knowing and embodying the truth of God. Often these things we think often these things are things that we think we can't do without, that we think are too indispensable for us to ever give up. When this is the case, what we're often doing with our idols. When we do submit to God's pruning, oftentimes after resisting, because it's hard, a change occurs in our life. Pruning is practical, and it's not just an abstract belief that we take hold of. Pruning brings about resist. Um, after we've resisted, it brings about repentance. It's the opposite of resistance. We stop acting one way, and we start acting a different way. We turn around and go in a different direction. I'm afraid that many who want to follow Christ find this aspect really difficult. Think of the rich young rulers found in the Gospels of not just one Gospel, but Mark, Matthew, and Luke. When the young ruler asked Jesus about eternal life, I think he's really trying to justify his own religious life, the action or inaction that he takes. I think we could translate his conversation to fit our current scripture and metaphor. So you could hear, hear him approaching Jesus and saying, Jesus, am I connected to your vine? And Jesus responds in the scripture, well, do you, do you keep your, the commandments? And the young ruler responds, I have, ever since I was a boy. Now at this point, I confess I'm taking a little bit of an interpretive liberty, but I'm also pretty confident that faithful Jews would believe that such commandment keeping would prove just that question, that they are connected to the vine. And I think Jesus affirms this in his question. But Jesus doesn't leave it there. Instead, he pulls out his pruning clippers and says this, "Ah, but there is one thing you lack. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. The story ends with the ruler unwilling to part with what he feels is indispensable, his wealth. He refuses the pruning. Does this lead to atrophy in his branch? Does it lead to death and ultimately to fire? 
Here's where our interpretation is more of an art form than a hard and definite answer. Because if we do just a little bit of reflection at this point, and we think about ourselves, we all, myself most certainly included, find ourselves often in the shoes of the young ruler. And that, I think, is the point of Jesus' story. We know that there are places in our life that we want to control. And sometimes the request to make the change seems too high a price to pay. God tells us throughout Scripture that life is found in trusting God's provisions. Not that an object, not trusting an object, not trusting a relationship or a job. That's not where our identity comes from. But God also doesn't ask for mindless acquiescence either. God gives us all good work to do in the ordered creation that God made. And God provides room for our creativity in that order. But often we refuse to believe this. We'd rather create our own order that prioritizes our comforts over our well-being and the well-being of our neighbors and environment. As if choosing between our well-being and that of our neighbors is the only option. The truth is the Bible does not speak to this duality. Rather, we create such a duality in order to justify our hunger for more at the expense of our history and in the present expense of the natural world and the people who live in it. There are many examples we can think of that proves this to be true. But instead of looking to the past or to the examples of others, I think we need to get real with our own faith communities. The pandemic upended much of our routines, and now that we are slowly re returning, let me commend the metaphor of the vine and the branches to guide us in our own congregational reflections. So much like the questions I asked a few minutes earlier, let's consider these not just today, but in the coming weeks, in the coming months. Let's consider how God might be wanting to prune us back so that we can be prepared to bear more fruit. So let me ask those questions again. In what soil are we planted? What makes us unique among God's witnesses? What's special about this place? Who are our neighbors? Who are around this campus and around your home? Who are they? What dead branches, what dead branches threaten to block the sunlight and choke the healthy branches on the vine. In other words, what causes us distraction from the purpose God has called for us at Cedar Dot Road? What things might we find we spend all of our time, effort, and resources on that in the end really aren't kingdom-focused, but rather self-focused? What branches need pruning here in order that we can bear more fruit? See, Huguenot Road Baptist Church, we have a rich history of bearing fruit in this community. We stand on the shoulders of faithful people who have sacrificed much. Our community is better for our history here. But we are coming out of a long winter of pandemic. 
Our community and our neighborhoods that surround us all have changed, and they are changing. Things are growing and looking different. Many of our faithful here at this church have gone on to their eternal rest and reward. What will we do with the soil and the environment that they have left? Like the gardener who prunes her vines at the end of the winter, we too need pruning as we come back to a new day. What branches at Huguenot Road Baptist Church that produce fruit in the past do we need to prune back so we can bear more fruit now in the present? I can't tell you what those are, though we may collectively want to start with those things we think we can't do without. We're going to have to do a lot of discernment work together and be willing to take direction from God, God's Spirit's leadership. It will not be easy. It will require sacrifice. Oh, but the harvest will be great for those who are willing to submit to the pruning blades in the hands of a skillful and loving farmer. Our Lord and Savior, our God. Soon after the uh, conversation Jesus had with his disciples, they found themselves at the table. And at the table, Jesus paints another picture of his relationship with the disciples gathered around him and with us as well. You'll take your communion elements. You can peel the first top off. We'll be ready as we celebrate the fact that Jesus said in this conversation that his body was is bread for us, is life for us. And even though it's broken, and even though it dies, it gives us life. So take and eat this, his body, broken for all of us. And after the bread, he took the cup, and pouring it, he said, this wine, this juice is the blood shed for everyone. And when we take this communion, we remember Jesus' sacrifice, his blood shared, shed for us, take and drink. picture, this concrete activity that we do together reminds us that even God is willing to be sacrificed and to be pruned back, that death is not the end, but in, in death, new life comes. We're thankful for the example that we can partake in today.